This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though... That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty Network. And uh, trying something new where I actually heard my intro there. Um, we're, we're doing this this editing live. So in my intro, I talk about overcoming adversity and, and unlocking potential. And I think today's guest, uh, Christy Lashover, who has been on this show before back in 2021, I think her story really epitomizes that. And we're going to talk about her story. We're going to talk about the book that she wrote that came out in June, which is be, which has been very successful. And uh, we're going to talk about how she really applied that story and how that motivated her to write this book in order to share those lessons that she learned um, with with everybody. So, Christy, welcome to Finding Freedom. Great to have you back. Hey, John. Thank you. This is great. Thank you so much. So you you wrote a book. First of all, congratulations. I, I know that is Thank a uh, that is a big task. So. Um, Tell it me a little is. bit about, to start yeah, off, wild, about that actually. process of, of writing the book. Well, I started to write a little bit prior to getting out of prison. And so writing has really just been something that has helped me understand my thoughts and feelings and just getting stuff out. And then so I thought I wanted to write a memoir, but then I wanted to have that traditionally published and when you do that, you need a bunch of followers and all mm-hmm. the things. So um, what I did was take excerpts from what I had already written and created this interactive reading um, book so that it really serves the audience more even than just just a memoir. So it, it ended up turning out great. So it's been it's been good. It's been about two years in the making. So, yeah, when you first get it, you're like, wow, OK. Here we are. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's nice. That's really cool. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had you on before, but I do want to go through your story again because it's been, you know, about two years, I think, since last time you were on the show. And, I mean, your story is is, is very unique. And if I'm remembering correctly, um, your arrest in itself made national headlines at the time. Um, you were selling, I think, selling drugs to, to a priest, ended up doing five years um, in prison. Um, so t- tell us about that part of your life um, that landed you in prison. Well, yeah, and then and then I was a first time offender too. Mm-hmm. So you would never think that someone knew who you know was married to a police officer and was like on the other side of the law right. for a long time um, would get that. But yeah, it really stemmed from addiction for me. It stemmed from an early addiction as a child who was in the hospital um, a lot um, from birth on. And I just really learned how to manage emotions with 
Demerol and morphine and all the things. And then, so as time went on, I, um, you know, got away from that more and then just was someone who was always, uh, wanting to change the way I felt, you know? And so fast forward, I, um, you know, got married and I had my own business and everything was great. And then all of a sudden different, um, chain of events happened and I ended up relapsing, which meant I stopped doing all mind altering substances for a long time. And then I had all these emotions I wasn't sharing with anybody. And, you know, cause I always thought that, um, holding everything in or, you know, I, well, I didn't even really understand my emotions anyway. So mm-hmm. how can I really explain it to anybody else? And so I just held all that in. And, um, one day I was, I went back in the hospital, um, for a kidney issue and the nurse offered a pain shot. And I thought, that sounds so good. You know, I don't need it. I know I didn't need mm-hmm. it. I'll, you know, all the feelings came back. Like, are you really going down this road again, Christy? And I thought, you know what, at the time, I just want relief. I just want a little bit of relief from the pain that I was feeling. And I thought, you know, well, that's not going to take me down that road. And it did. And, um, I ended up, uh, trying methamphetamine thinking that that would help me not go down the path of, um, addiction with pain pills and all of that. And, um, I thought there's no way I would ever be addicted to that. And, um, I became addicted to it and sold to buy more for less and Mm -hmm. stop working. Um, I had my own business as a wardrobe stylist, so I love my job. I love my client. So it's crazy how addiction can, you know, it doesn't matter. It just takes everything away from, from you. And so, and then you, you know, pile shame on top of that. And, um, it's just a snowball effect that you just find yourself in and you're like, what the heck I'm selling methamphetamine to a Catholic priest what the heck am I doing? Um, but then, you know, when you, if you were to stop you, then you have to face so much and, um, it's easier just to keep going in your mind, you know, so I did that and I got arrested in Las Vegas. So, so when you were arrested at the time, was there an element, I mean, you, you talked about just now about you have to keep going because if you don't, you, you have to, you know, you, you have to face the music really. Um, was right. there a little bit of relief when, when you were arrested? No, no. <laughs> not for me. No, 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 there wasn't relief really at all because I, I, I knew that it's a possibility and, um, but you're so in denial and detached I was. Mm -hmm. So when it happened and, you know, the feds came through the, um, hotel door, I thought it was the maids, you know, I thought, wow, those maids are so loud. And it wasn't, it was the feds in the morning. And so when it happened, I just kept thinking, this is real and I'm not getting out of this. So, um, no, I, you know, I never felt relief. I mean, mm-hmm. I felt re- nah, I don't think I ever felt, felt relief because the magnitude of what I knew was coming was really overwhelming. Well, at, at what point, cause you were a first time offender, like you said. So at what point, right. at what point did you realize the magnitude of, of what you were facing? Uh, when I was laying face down on the carpet in the hotel with yeah. the marshals. Yeah. So pretty profound <laughs> yeah i can i, I can't yeah. even it's, it's hard to even hard to even imagine that what, what hotel right. what hotel was it in vegas i don't even remember the name of it 
I don't yeah. remember the name of it. So you go from being face down in the hotel room, you know, really your world coming crashing down around you. Right. Um, how long was it before you got sentenced? Oh, I didn't get sentenced for almost two years. Yeah. yeah. So I was in Las Vegas, but because the drugs were sold to someone in Connecticut, they, you know, actually when in Las Vegas, they were going to let us out on our own recognizance. But um, on the day we were leaving, the magistrate in Connecticut s- said, stop, I want them to come here, mm-hmm. you know, which actually in honesty, I'm sure that probably saved my, my life that part. I never want to say prison saved my life. I don't, I don't care for that term at Mm -hmm. all because prison, you know, I think I saved it despite prison. Mm. But um, if I would have left that day that they were going to allow me to, um, I don't know what would happen because I still was in the denial fear, fearful stage kind of. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you believe in this, but I mean, it's, it's, it's really fate. You know, the, the, the yeah. way, the way timing works. So that, that was, Oh, I, uh, yeah, I believe in it a hundred percent. And in looking back, I see it all so perfectly and clearly, mm-hmm. which allows me to trust the future now, you know, now, now that I'm, um, clear headed and, um, living in my truth, you know, and, um, not hiding anything. So now, now I just trust what's, going on but at the time of course i wanted to leave but um yeah so so i know that i know it was the timing of everything that was Mm -hmm. perfection yeah it's amazing when when you look back at a tumultuous period in your life and when you're going through that obviously it seems like chaos but in hindsight (laughs) wow if this if one thing changed differently there you know everything might have gone sideways a hundred percent yeah which in, in that instance like from, from the place that I'm at now, that allows me to trust everything that's coming, mm-hmm. you know, which is good. Well, that's, that's really, that's really cool. And that's an important, I think an important aspect that people need to come to understand because I think a lot of times in life we're trying to force things, we're trying to force things to happen. Not that you don't have to work. Of course you do have to work. Right. You do have to, you know, put, put your nose down and get things done. But, uh, you know, sometimes just letting things come to you um, is, is, is definitely the, the way things actually do, um, start happening. I wanted to, right. right. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and then, you know, when you're taking the action and that you think you need to take Mm -hmm. and you take it and there's a block and you take it and there's a block and then you take it and there's a block. I'm like, okay, I get it. (laughs) I'm going to stop with that action. I'm just going to let what's, you know, I'm going to let happen the direction that I need to go. And that's freeing really, mm-hmm. you know, I never lived like that before. And so now that I do, I feel way more in the flow, which is great. Yeah. That I is awesome. That. So yeah. you spent five years in prison, right? Can you talk a little, little bit about, um, or talk for as long as you want to, I don't want to confine how long you're going to talk about it for. Can you talk about your prison experience and, and what that was like for you? Well, I was in, I was arrested in Las Vegas federally. So it was Pahrump was the um, detent. I think it's a holding place or something there. And then um, I was there for a little while. And I remember um, the girls were telling me that I was going, well, first of all, I, I think I, I don't know if it was a nervous breakdown that I had, but I, 
I kind of started hallucinating. I think my body was like, what is like, it couldn't take in exactly what was happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I also had some kidney stuff going on. So I went to the hospital for, for about a week, I, which I don't even remember really any of that. Um, and then when I got back, um, the Las Vegas uh, detention, I think enter it's called, uh, was just a dorm room with a bunch of, um, beds you know, and the whole time I'm thinking, like, I can't believe that I am here. Like, that's the that's the phrase that I kept saying because you know I had opportunity. I have a great family. Um, I, I'm in federal prison, you know, and so I hadn't been sentenced. But they, when the magistrate said to come to Connecticut, the girls were saying that I would go on Con Air, and I was like, Con Air, like that's crazy. I'm thinking they don't know what that, mm. you know, that's stupid. There's not a con air. That's just, you know, with uh, Nicholas Cage, but there's a con air. And so like about, I think I was there maybe a month or so. And then I got on con air and went to Oklahoma, I think first. And then um, from there, I was there for a little while, which the um, federal prison was too full. So they had me in the County jail, which was a whole other, you know, crazy experience. There's just, you know, one room with tons of women sleeping and drugs and fighting. And, um, I remember there was a pregnant girl that was, uh, that asked me, she said, Oh, oh are you the feds? And, you know, you don't know if you're like supposed to say yes or no. And, you know, like I said, this is all new. Like yeah. I, at that point I was like 40, I don't know how old I was. I was 48, mm -hmm. you know, so I wasn't a kid. And so, I said, yeah, she said, sit right here. And I thought, okay, she wants me to sit right there. So I said, no, that's okay. <laughs> she goes, no, sit right here. And I said, okay, so I'll sit right there. And then she proceeds to beat up one of the girls that's sleeping and there's blood flying everywhere. Jeez. And it's like, it was great. So that was like my first experience in the Grady County jail. And um, there's another girl on the phone. There was a payphone in this little room and she's screaming to her mother, get me out. And it was just, it was overwhelming, chaotic. And I remember when they put our, got our clothes, um, they actually have the black and white stripe hmm. jail suits. And, you know, I got my, I got my roll up to get in my bed and I go to lay down, I go to put it on the bed. And I heard another lady say, you know, bitch, that's where my head sleeps. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm not sleeping here. So yeah, it was, it, it's traumatic. <laughs> I think back on that. It was really traumatic. And then from that point, you know, when you think um, an attorney says he's going to meet you in Connecticut, you think, oh, that'll be like normal um, time on the outside. It's like, I don't know, next week. You don't realize that that's like months. Mm. Everything takes forever, months. And so I was like, months, how is that going to happen? So we were at the Grady County Jail for maybe a week or I'm not sure the, the, the time originally. And so we get on the bus at like three in the morning, what they do too, they, they have breakfast at like, what time was it? It was crazy. I think breakfast was at like three in the morning and lunch was at like six in the morning. Why it was the, very weird. Why do they do that? Right? It's so weird. I don't know. And then dinner was at like noon. It was crazy. And they always watch Shawshank Redemption. So I'm watching them going, are you girls are in prison and you're watching Shawshank Redemption the whole time. Wow. And I'm looking around going, this is just so weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. You know? 
so bizarre. You know, you have your tray of food and others are like grabbing your food. Hey, are you going to eat that? I'm like, nope, you can have it, you know, because you don't know mm-hmm. what's going on. But um, And then we went to get back on Con Air. But, um, you know, we saw duct tape on the airplane and then they tried for, I don't know, an hour or two and it couldn't take off. So they went, they took us back to Grady Jail. I, I don't know how long I was there. Less than a month, but it was only supposed to be just a couple days. Mm. And so, yeah, then I went to Connecticut wrote, and Rhode Island, where I was there for almost two years. Um, a little bit um, of that, I got out at the Salvation Army for like a pre-trial. And then I got sentenced August um, 21st on my birthday, actually. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Right. Did, did you take right. a, a plea deal or did you go to trial? Oh, no, I didn't go yeah. to trial. It was a plea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing is they wanted me to tell on my, on my co-defendant who was the, the man that I had been seeing for many years. And so, you know, that was a hard part because I, they said, if you don't tell, then you're, then you're going to be left with everyone else telling and you'll get 20 years. And I thought 20, like the whole thing, the whole time was mind blowing. And that's why I talk about it so much because people don't know mm-hmm. really you know, the way it works. I know you do. Um, but, um, you know, my attorney was getting mad. Like, Christy, you have to tell. If you don't tell, then they're going to tell and you're going to get all this time. And it just didn't sit right. I'm like, why would I tell? I mean, it wasn't like I just stumbled on this thing and I caught up. I mean, I was part of it, mm-hmm. you know. And so there was one girl that was inside the Rhode Island prison. And, you know, I was distraught because everyone was yelling at me, wanting me to tell. And, um, and the girl said, Christy, um, she said, you're the one that has to lay down at night by yourself with your eyes closed. So you have to do whatever you're the most comfortable with. And that was like the first piece of advice that I got from another person in prison that kind of made me like take a deep breath. I wish I could find that girl now because I was like, okay, I'm there's, I can't tell I'm not doing that. And so I didn't, but it ended up being all right. No one else told, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, I guess from what I hear a big deal, but you know, we weren't out there on the street as, you know, drug dealers. Uh, We were caught up in addiction and that's what that whole thing, thing was about. So, and then, so we each got five years. That's probably why they were so mad because nobody was saying anything and they were, you know, trying to get some, right. someone dependent on. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. And so if I would have told, I probably would have got two years and they would have got 20 years. Right. And that's, that's, that's unacceptable. I mean, that's, oh, that's insane. Crazy. Yeah. Such, such a messed up, messed up system. Like, and even there's, my no, attorney, there's, no, there's no justice there. It is. Right? And my attorney's yelling, right. There's no justice. And my attorney, I, I mean, I had a, public defender, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make my family or ask my family to pay for an attorney. Um, you know, again, I was thrust into this environment based on my own actions. And so um, he was yelling, he was, he's like, Christy, everybody tells, they tell on their mama, they tell on their brother. He goes, everybody tells you have to tell. And I was like, that just didn't feel, feel right to me. So yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I'm sure it's easy for, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking back, you know, kind of putting myself now in your shoes. It's easy to do that. But in that moment, 
Like, I mean, yeah, who knows what I would do or, or anybody listening would do. Um, it's really, like you said, uh, it's only the person in that situation. When you're laying your head down at night, you have to be able to be at peace with yourself. So, yeah. Right. And especially as a woman who was a people pleaser, mm. that I think was my first act of not being a people pleaser and say, I'm not doing that. Yeah. There's no way that I could do that and be at peace with myself. And um, like I said, there was, there was five people, including myself and no one told. And I think that's just because we were, you know, in addiction, we weren't, um, you know, doing anything else except being in addiction. Mm-hmm. So, which so, makes a difference. So were you in, you said you were two years in Connecticut. Where did you serve the rest of your sentence? Was that also in Connecticut? No, I was. I went to Connecticut just one night in Danbury um, because the Rhode Island prison forgot me when I when we were on Con Air, and it was in the middle of a blizzard. Jeez. Like I had on a short sleeve. I, you know what? It was crazy, John. I had on a short sleeve shirt. What you know? What I was arrested in, and all the marshals were in full like snow blizzard gear to where you would. They had gloves. You could only see their eyes. They had face masks. And I'm sitting there freezing. Wow. And Chad, you know, the guy that I went to prison with, said, can I give her my sweatshirt? Because they had a sweatshirt on. And they said no. And so I'm freezing, like blizzard. It was crazy. You have the men all lined up and a few of the women that were in there lined up. And they didn't care. And I was the last one there. Everyone kept going to the vans that they were assigned to to go to different prisons. And I was the last one. And that was just because the Rhode Island prison forgot about me. So they sent me to Connecticut. Um, and uh, they, the guy said to me, he said, you know, Christy, or Lashover is what they call me, my last name. He said, um, I can't let you stay here. Um, on the bench, he goes, I'm going to have to take you to solitary, but I'll get you as soon as I can. And I promise you're going to be okay. And I thought, so then I am shackled, like walking through Danbury prison, you know, to solitary confinement. (laughs) It was terrible. And so I just heard, I remember I, I walked in, I just heard screaming and yelling and cussing and just, was so loud and then they slammed the door and and that's when I first cracked that's why I started bawling I'm like I'm I'm not gonna make it here and then but the next morning they got me out and then I went to Rhode Island for um until August of 2014 so about a year and a half a little more or than that then I went to Carswell Texas okay and that's where you Carswell, spent the rest Texas. of your time yeah, and the judge had said when I got sentenced that um, he said that I would be at a camp in California. And no one, I don't think, knows that when, you know, whatever the judge says that you're going to go, it doesn't matter. Hmm. You know, as soon as, you know, as soon as you're sentenced, the judge can say whatever he wants and it doesn't matter. So when you go back from being sentenced, you go to Oklahoma, which is the transition air center, and then the bus for California left and then I'm like why am I still here and they said you're going to Carswell so I I hadn't even thought about that which is a maximum security prison but because it's a supposed hospital like a medical center because I had um, health issues from a child they sent me there Hmm. so maximum security was that what was that experience like was that 
worse than the other prisons or how is it different? Just different. Mm-hmm. Just, just different. You know, I, the one thing that I, um, that I said to my mom when I called her, I said, um, this, these are just trauma hospitals, you know, the women that are in there. That's like, yeah, there may be a few people that are like, you know, have some something wrong and have done, you know, some bad things. And, but overall it's just trauma. Mm-hmm. It's just a place to house a bunch of trauma. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's been six years since I got out, but, um, it was, it, I mean, the whole thing's scary, the whole thing's scary and you don't know who to trust. Um, but then you also mixed in with that, you have women with that, are nurturers and kind and um, helpful. So it's, it's very, it's very confusing. And you also just see a lot of pain in the air. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of pain lingering. So I pretty much was someone who worked in landscaping, worked out, you know, I was like, I am not going to leave here and be huge. (laughs) So I like refrain from the honey buns. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that, that was the one thing I kept thinking is, you know, when I get out, I'll have food, you know? So I worked out and ran. I, I, I learned to run. I say I learned because my sister at the same time is a ultra runner. So she, she was running a hundred miles you know, we kind of talk about like she ran her hundred miles to process her pain. And then I'm in prison Mm. processing. So when I knew she'd be on her races, I'd be on the track running too. That's really interesting. Um, And she had, yeah, she had my name and number on her back and we were both like mentally, like I'm with you. Mm -hmm. So it was, that was cool. So I learned to run. I learned how that really helped my head a lot. Yeah, it gives you it gives you a why, especially when you, right when you can when you can tie that to someone so close to you, it gives you some little bit a little bit of inspiration. I'm, uh, I'm sure to, yeah. to help you through that. Um, one thing you talked about there, which I'd never I'd never heard it phrased this way, but it makes total sense. With prisons are, you know, trauma warehouses, or um, right. but they're not really treating the trauma. They're not healing. Although not to say that people don't you know, find peace and, uh, and healing in prison. It, it, it sounds like you did, but that, I mean, am I right? Did that really, a lot of that comes from within, um, being able to figure that out. It's not yeah. like the prison is helping you along that path. Not in any capacity. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's pretty much the other, there was a girl that, um, she asked me to help her write out a, a kite and it was, and she said that she was being abused by her father who was a pastor and she said, Christy, I know I need some help. So while I'm in here, I'm going to try to work through that. And it came back. I mean, I saw with my own eyes, it said no services. Like they're not interested really? in helping in any capacity with wow. that. Yeah. So um, really the healing, like the emotions with the other women that are in there, um, I found a lot of reprieve in religious services. It's funny because I thought I, I thought if I worked there that that would help. And I couldn't like, again, like we said earlier, there was always a block. I couldn't get a job in religious services, but I got a job in landscaping, working in the flowers. And so that actually was a good way to, you know, process my emotions. And, um, but there was a chaplain in Texas in Carswell who was um, extremely instrumental at 
not saying like this is what you need to believe, but it was very like Christy, you know, there's something bigger than you. And so I'm going to show you all the things there are and you get to decide what that is for yourself, mm-hmm. which was such a gift. And so um, that kind of started, well, it started a little bit in Rhode Island with the lady that would come every Tuesday and she would talk to the girls about Jesus. And, and I was like, that's one of the things I put in my book. I'm like, I'm not finding Jesus in jail. <laughs> like that is, that is the, that's the epitome of what you hear. That's gross. I'm not mm-hmm. doing that. And so she's like, well, she said, he has your undivided attention here. And so for some reason, when she said that, I was like, okay, I can look into that. Mm-hmm. And so I just found peace through spirit, you know, is kind of what I, what I call it. But yeah, it's, um, I also learned about gospel when I was in there too. And, you know, so because it's so heavy and painful and traumatic in there, whenever you, there's anything that happens that brings peace, it's very profound, you know, in the, in the contrast of pain and peace mm. is loud. And so I always wanted to go to wherever I found, found the, that peace. So I do want to get to talking about the you know the book here in a minute, digging into some of the ideas and, and really you know what you're sharing, the lessons that you learned about yourself through your own journey. Um, but first, I do want to ask you, I can't remember if we talked about this last time, I want to ask you about getting out of prison and what that experience was like and that transition. So how did that work? Yeah, it, yeah, I... Um you know, it's interesting because I went into RDAP, which was the drug program, um, and everyone in Carswell was telling me, don't do it here. You, you're you not going to graduate. They don't graduate anybody. And I thought, well, I'll do it. I'm, I'm not going to do anything wrong. So I'll for sure graduate and I need to work on some stuff. Um, but I didn't graduate and they kicked me out prior to me, mm-hmm. right before I was going to go home. Wow. So which meant I had to do another year. But Chad, who I uh, went into prison with, was in um, Church, or what I think the name is in Oregon, the federal prison. And um, he graduated, so he got out before me. And that's when we talk about the timing, because he got out before me and wasn't successful in his ability to stay sober. Mm. I got to see him relapse. And so that made me decide to move to Oregon where my family was at the time, which I didn't want to do. I really wanted to go home. I mean, I'm from Cali. I wanted to go home, but I knew that that would be the better place for me. So I went to Oregon. And so, like I said, I was in there a whole other year, which was painful. I mean, talk about me thinking it would be better if I wasn't on this planet. I really thought something must be wrong with me if I cannot graduate a drug program. And, um, and they actually said I was inauthentic, which is, interesting now because you know i talk about authenticity that's like my my Mm -hmm. thing and but i you know i i was learning so much about myself and and you know when you're in a prison cell for five years almost five years and um you're with yourself and you get to discover how you've been detached and all the things so when i got out um i was sad that i wasn't going back home but i knew that was the right thing went to my mom's, um, stayed there for a little bit. And I got a job at a hotel, um, which, you know, when you're in the halfway house, they say, you know, they show you all the felon friendly places. But in my gut, I was like, if I get a job, if I'm out and if I get a job that I don't like, Mm -hmm. 
like fast food place. I'm not, it's not going to be good for me, you know? So I said, let me have two weeks to try to find a job that I think that I would like. And I got, I found a job in downtown Ashland, Oregon at a hotel and the guy hired me and I was like, oh shoot, he, you know, he didn't ask about my background. And so I, but so I remember that was the first time I had, I was like, oh man, I felt like I wanted to throw up because I had to, I had to say something to him because I have a a probation officer. And so I said, I, you know, I decided someone helped me decide that like, you don't have to say everything. You don't have to say, here's what I've been. Here's what happened. I just said, I just want to let you know I have a probation officer in my life. So if you, I want to be transparent. If you have any questions, you know, I'm open to share. And he said, nope, I'm good. I said, thank you, Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. we're good. You know, but that was that was traumatic. Just that one phone call was traumatic because you have so, so much shame, you know. And so I started to work there. And um, a big pivotal point was when I, there was um, the halfway house guy there. You know, it's funny too, because he said, Christy, when I look at your, you know, PSR, he's like, you, you seem like such a, like a person that I didn't want at this halfway house. Like you seem like you were just going to be a nightmare. And he's like, that's why you can never really tell what's on the, mm. on the report because you're such a different person than what, I saw on the paperwork, you know, so he, he thought it would be good if I went to reentry court, which was, um, a once a month on a Friday for the majority of the day with the federal judge, prosecutors, defense attorneys, everyone around the table. And they say, how's your month? And they interact with you. And so, and they said, then you get a year off. I'm like, yeah, I heard that before (laughs) with RDAP. Yeah, I'm not falling for that again. But I went and I and I experienced one of the most amazing things that transformed my mm. life. There was a federal judge Anne Aiken, who's like my mentor. She it's she refers to me now as her dear friend. Wow. I mean, what a gift that is. Mm. I mean, just her saying that. So she's been an example of moving forward and bringing people along with you. Mm -hmm. So she's always bringing everyone along with her. And she recommended highly that I get back into college. I did that. I went to Southern Oregon university. I got all straight A's. I I kept going to the reentry court and they would say, so what do you need from us? And literally one time I said, I have a criminology paper and I still need to get an A and I need some help on that. And literally one of the prosecutors raised her hand and she said, Christy, my husband is a criminal, uh, works in the criminology department and our kids are out of town this weekend. We'll help you with your paper. Wow. So it was everything from like anger management to whatever you need. And so that was so profound for me. And so I just, I wasn't going to share anything when I got out, you know, about where I was, I moved to a new state and, but little by little, I realized that if I shared a little bit, then I, it connected me to people. And Mm -hmm. every time they were so kind to me. And so even when I went back to school and I walked in the door, I was like, man, I I was fearful to walk back inside the school and say where I was. And, but there was one lady that was like, um, the girl that did the financial, um, like the FAFSA and all that. And her interaction with me was so beautiful that, you know, she asked about my address and I said, you know, again, I was like, okay, well, 
you know, and your, your whole body goes into shame immediately, you know? And I said, well, I, actually I was in prison and she looked at me and she could have like responded in a million mm-hmm. ways, but she said, Oh my God, this is going to be so great. And so I, which I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that. And she just like was so excited to help me with everything. So, you know, and it still makes me emotional because that was like, you could, she, she could have done it so many ways, but that just kept, I kept running into people that responded to me like that, which was everything. I, I think that's really powerful, right? And that's something you talk about in your book is, you know, really like taking ownership of your story, right? So wh- right. Wh- why do you think that that is, you know, such a, uh, it kind of breaks down barriers, breaks down walls between people, right? Well, but why do you think that is that being open about the trauma that you've experienced, about you know what you've what you've been through, what you've overcome? But why do you think people can relate so much to that, or or are attracted well, to because, it really? Yeah, I well now I know this. I didn't know know this prior mm-hmm. to prison. I didn't know this at all. It started with people writing me while I was inside and telling me about their secrets, mm-hmm. which originally pissed me off because I was like, we were all together and you were hiding, but then I was hiding. No one was sharing. Women, mm-hmm. especially, don't. Well, maybe men too. Don't really share. Men, men don't stuff. share anything. So okay, so yeah. so everyone's walking around mm-hmm. with a bunch of stuff. And so, but then if, what I've learned is that if I am disassociated from the things that I'm hiding, then I look at you doing the same thing and I'm going to judge the hell out of you. And cause it's, you're reflecting what I don't want to look at. And so mm-hmm. I actually get angry about it and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I'll judge it. So what I realized and, and this, and that it was happening before I even realized when I shared a little bit, someone else would share with me their thing when I got out. And so, and I think me being transparent, but humble, you know, not like poor me, I was in prison. It was like, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And I just got out of prison and I don't know what to do. People loved that, which was the opposite of what I thought, Mm -hmm. because they're like, wow, I have a bunch of stuff I'm afraid of, but I'm not telling anybody because I don't think I should, or I don't know how to say it. And so that's just been the thing. I think sharing with humility and being okay with some tears coming out, which was hard. Um, it, that connected me to so many people that had never been to prison before. Yeah. That's the key. I think. That's amazing. And that's really what life is all about. What it comes down to is connecting with people. Right. And that's how, I mean, I'm I'm sure that helped you with putting, you know, putting this book together and getting to the point where you're able to publish the book. That's connections, relationships that, that help you help you get there. And um, the book is called perfectly flawed, uncovering your greatest purpose. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about that title. Um, How did you come up with that? And what, what is, what does that, that mean to you uncovering your greatest purpose? Well, originally the title um, came from a moment when I was in the drug program, RDAP, and the lady said to me, she said, Krista, you're a flawed human being. And I immediately got defensive. I got angry. I was like, no, I'm not. And then, and then when the words came out, I thought, that's weird because, of course, you're a flawed human being. But what I heard in my head was you're bad. Mm-hmm. 
And so unraveling that, I realized that we're all, you know, we're all, we all make mistakes and we, all of us, we have flaws and we all try so hard to hide it, which is making us, which is blocking us from our purpose. And so once you just lay it all out there, this is me, this is the good, the parts about me that I love and the parts about me that I'm not that happy with, but when used for goodness and connection, it actually can kind of catapult you to your greatness is what I've Mm -hmm. found. And this is a journey. This is, you know, this has just been the things that I've been experiencing and realizing doing work, writing, connecting, being honest and, you know, I say like, I'm like one of the most free people I've, I've ever met. And what a gift that is from someone who hid so much. And so I just kind of want to give that gift to other people. So I just wrote, shared really transparent stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, asked the reader, because I know that's how we're going to heal. That's how we'll heal humanity is to have just connect on, on, on different levels. It doesn't, you don't have to be in prison. You just have to you know, be a human being and you have past stuff that you, you know, that has shaped who you are and maybe in parts of it or not parts of it. If you're hiding are hindering you from your greatness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Anna? Yeah. And you know, I, I can totally relate to that because, you know, obviously I I've interviewed, you know, being the host of felony Friday, I've interviewed, hundreds of people who have been to prison and you know sometimes i get frustrated with people when when i'm telling them about these interviews these great interviews i've had and when i try to explain you know the obstacles the pain that people have gone through and when you hear that story it's i think anybody um can can take away lots of things from you can take away motivation from it you can take away practical advice from it um and I, I, I mean, I think a lot of people really didn't understand the power in these stories and even the characteristics and traits that you see in someone like yourself who has been through this experience of going through prison, coming out on the other side. And really, a, a lot of, I think a lot of the traits that you learn that probably are unlocked and derived from that pain are similar to the traits of someone who maybe is you know, building a business and is going through obstacles and having to really look themselves in the mirror, much like when you're in prison, you're having to look yourself in the mirror and face face your fears to, to overcome, to get through that. Um, I think there's a lot of commonality there. Um, and there's probably an idea for a book there somewhere relating the, the journey um, that people go through to come, come out and go through prison, come out successful on the other side, and those who are successful um, in other walks of life. So, um, I'm not sure where I'm going with that that question, but can you talk a little bit about um, really that that pain that you experienced in prison and how you were able to use that to your advantage? Well, yeah, um, it's exactly the same, John. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you're inside, you're separate. You're cut off from the world. You're you know you're treated as you know non-human. You know, there is actually a box in the kitchen when you're going to get food that says not for human consumption. Hmm. So like 
every, every, everything pointing towards you is like, you're not good. You know, you're, you're bad. And so, and you have that and you have the shame and you have the guilt, but then on the outside, you know, people, like you said, they still have all the stuff, you know, all the fears and the, and the, you know, they're not in prison, but they have the stuff they're hiding because, you know, I always say like, um, I had heard that everyone's that, you know, everyone's born with a box of crayons, you know, a 64, you know, box of crayons, all the colors. But then one by one, we learn, you know, whether you have great parents or not great parents, you learn that certain certain colors aren't going to work out for you. Like, that's a bad color. Don't use that. Don't mm-hmm. use that. And then, you know, people are left. And I think a lot of people in prison are left with like eight colors, yeah. you know, and the rest of the 50, you know, whatever. I don't do my, the math well, but. Are, le- are gone. And so um, I think when, what I saw when is when I got out, like the com- the commonality was kind of shocking to me. And so if one person can be vulnerable and transparent in their experiences, then that kind of gives everybody else permission to share their stories. There was one time in school um, when this professor said, I want to hear where you learned the qualities about being a leader. And I, my first thought was, I'm not going to tell him that I learned that in prison. That's too, you know, I, I'm not really going to tell anybody here that I was in prison. And so he said, I'll go first. He said, and, and he was good looking. I thought he was from, you know, Yale or something like good, you know, someone who's never done anything wrong. And he said, I was in jail all the time. I kept getting in fights and he just, so he told the whole story about how his sister signed him up for college, but it was like a real story. So Mm. then every one of us shared the truth, which like deepened Mm. all of our relationships. And I thought, wow, like I judged him thinking he would never know what that's like. And we all said true. So I kept getting those um, lessons. And so I kept thinking, you know, which kept, helping me continue to just be honest and expect and know. And now the one thing in my book I do, um, I started this thing called the 33 day challenge. And it's the first one that we're doing because the book just came out last month and it's a Facebook live or Facebook group Mm -hmm. private. And so I have 15 women. And so I asked them the questions from the book. And so they're, they're answering those transparently in front of all of us. Oh, wow. If they want, there's no judgment. If they don't want to, they don't have to. It's great that I don't feel like I need to control like what they, hey, why aren't you writing? Mm-hmm. You know, of course I'd like them to, cause I know that'll free them, but you know, we're all on our own journey. And so Saturday was the first day and it's just phenomenal. And again, shocking that we're all the same. I mean, there's only one girl in there that's been in prison. The rest have not that have successful careers Mm. and the pain or trauma, you know, trauma. A lot of times that word feels heavy. Maybe you don't have what you thought was trauma, but you look at different situations that formed the way you do life now. And it, and I think that's just how we all kind of connect. So Mm. we're only on Dave, like five. So I'm excited to watch them connect with, with each other. And, um, just know that, Hey, we're all the same, you know, there's, we're, and you're not alone. That's like the, the biggest thing. It doesn't matter if you've been in prison, but I think that's the barrier that those have not been in. It's easy to judge those that are, because it's like, wow, like, I don't think they're thinking about it, you know, logically. I think it's in their subconscious. They're like, 
oh, look, they got caught and look at they're showing their weakness because they're in prison and uh, they work really hard at hiding all their stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, everybody's everybody's good at you know hiding hiding the things that that they think are you know that need to be hidden um, the the skeletons in the closet uh, I guess but um, and we end up and then everyone has yeah. them so it's so it's so stupid to hide we it end up building I, mean, I did we end it. up building our it. own prison we, right um, we all have them yeah. every single solitary person on the yeah. planet ha- has them 100%. so why not just say here's my here's my shit and <laughs> let's see what, you know, what's your stuff. Here's my stuff. And now let's go live and be happy yeah. and connect and joyful and, you know, useful. Yeah. We're, we're all, we're all afraid of different things, right. Of, of being judged yeah. um, in different environments. Maybe we put on, you know, put on a mask to, to act a certain way because that's the way we think we have to act in that situation. Or that's what we have to do. Yeah. But, for sure, it's just uh, it's just crazy. Um, I'm I'm curious. So you were talking about this this small group that you're having, um, you know, with these women as you're going through interactively with the book. Is this something that you plan on continuing to do um, over time? Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't need to be ju- just with women. I don't think mm-hmm. um, there was just you know the cutoff was fifteen people, and it was just women. But I think. You know, I think we learn from each other, women and men both. And so, um, but yeah, I think that's just, if I can create space for people to um, share, that's that's kind of the joy that I have in that. Awesome. So yeah, it, it'll continue. That's, that's so fantastic. I, I, I wish I could remember when I had you on, I should have listened to the, your, your first appearance on this <laughs> show before this, because I wish I asked you, I wish I asked you then and, and listened to it, where you saw yourself in the coming years. Cause I don't know, did you see yourself writing a book back then two years ago or like, when did that process, like at what point in time were you like, this book is happening hundred percent? Well, I saw myself write, writing the book. Cause I did write a memoir. That's like an 80,000 word, mm-hmm. you know, book. Um, but no, I had no idea that I'd be living in new Orleans and that like, I'm going to Washington DC next week to talk to Congress and, you know, it's crazy. There's a lot of times, John, that I, I like I saw my picture amongst like the director of the federal prisons, um, the pardon attorney mm-hmm. and a bunch of judges. And then they have my <laughs> picture. It says author. And, and it really like like I see it and I just stop and stare at it. And just, you know, it makes me emotional. Like, wow. You know, and I know it all stems from doing the work trusting the process and being completely honest. And as soon as I know if I, there's one thing I'm hiding, that's when I, that's when I'm going sideways mm-hmm. because, you know, we all have our own, we all have our own paths and that's gotta be okay. And even in the family system, a good family, you know, we all still have our, our roles, but right. they don't serve us, you know? So if we can like break out of that um, and, you know, and then a lot of times one person that breaks out of that a little bit, then that kind of heals the whole family, you know, if they want to be healed, which has happened. But yeah, no, I would never um, imagine, <laughs> especially living in New Orleans. That's yeah, cool. I would never imagine. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing how fast things can happen. When you look back, you're like, wow, that was only, you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago. But right. it's, it's pretty amazing. 
So we're going to go to the okay. bonus here in just a minute. But before we do that, um, you can tell people where they can buy the book, where they can find anything else that you're working on, social media, any of that stuff you want to share. Yeah. So my my website is christyashober.com. So K-R-I-S-T-Y-L-A-S-C-H-O-B-E-R.com. And then Perfectly Flawed is on Amazon. Um, and then on all the social medias, um, I'm the same name, Christy Ashober. And then I have my, um, I was doing the Freedom Exchange Project. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was, I don't think I, entered the, you know, that I was speaking to you during that. But because I moved and my co-host moved, we have not done it this last year, but we were, um, we, we, we were interviewing those that have been in prison for a long time mm. and then coming out kind of like you, like all the great things that they're doing. Cause I want others to see, you know, Hey, these are great people, mm-hmm. you know, just regular people. So we'll start up that again. And that's called the freedom exchange project. Awesome. So those are the ways. Thank you. Well, we'll definitely, you know, pick up Christie's book and uh, you know, check out everything she's working on. I-, I love you know bringing people back on the show. You know, when you've accomplished something so awesome, um, written a book, and you're, you're helping so many people. So that's phenomenal, Christy. Thanks for coming back. Thanks, John, so much. I really appreciate you. Hey, thank you for listening to another great episode of Finding Freedom with another awesome guest. I'll be back next week with more hard hitting interviews or maybe a solo show. You never know what you're going to get here on Finding Freedom. You just know that you're going to get a show every single Monday. You get this show. Every Wednesday, you get Mean Age Daydream with Brian McWilliams. And every Friday, you get Meme Wars. That, of course, is on the Lions of Liberty podcast network feed. If you want to just get my shows, then subscribe to the Finding Freedom podcast feed or subscribe to both. If you really like us, actually subscribe to all three. Mine, to Mean Age Daydream, Solo Feed, and to Lions of Liberty. You get three, you get every feed and you support us to the maximum. That's not true. To the maximum would be also joining the pride at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com. Either way, however you choose to support us, we appreciate it. We appreciate you listening and I appreciate you sharing the show. So with that said, I will see you next week. Always remember to keep your head up. And the fires of Liberty burning.